competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Welcome to another Art of War podcast. Today, our guest comes all the way from the frozen north. We've got a Blood Angel master over here, member of Team Canada, Sam Precipio. Sam, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, uh, Nick. Thanks a lot. Yeah, of course, Sam. I mean, I've, I've met you last year at Motor City, and you were rocking Blood Angels even then. Uh, and you've just gone better and better. It seems like you, you know, you took them to WTC and did. I believe you went five and one or six and zero oh there. Uh, yeah, in the in the War Masters, uh, I I went undefeated. I think it was four wins, two draws, and then I actually went uh, undefeated the entire week in the team event as well. Wow, I mean that is like literally the toughest competition in the world. I mean, so uh, you know, relatively new to the scene, Sam. Like, how how are you doing? How are you doing today? I'm I'm doing well. I I, I honestly um I'm I, I like to you know stay humble because I I have some pretty humble beginnings in this game and it's very short um short lived because it's you know I started right at the beginning of of COVID pretty much so um I've just been you know just hungry uh, hungry to keep learning uh, hungry to keep getting better and I've been fortunate to put together a few decent runs here and there but just continuously trying to get better every day. Well, wow, I, lo- I absolutely love that attitude. That's actually what we're going to be unpacking today in this episode for everybody. We're going to talk about Sam. We're going to know him, his miraculous climb to the top of the, the competitive ladder here with Blood Angels um, through the COVID times and all that. His uh, what his approach to the game, you know, what makes him tick? How does he approach list building? How, how does his Blood Angels differ to everybody else's? And just generally how his Blood Angels come together. Then in part two, that's for subscribers. You can subscribe on AOW40K.com. Five bucks a month. You also get access to our amazing Discord server. You're going to love it. Just trust me. That's where we're going to get into the good stuff. Sam and I are going to talk about exactly the list he took to Capital City Bloodbath, break it down, explain how it all works, how it works in the matchups, how he uses the units he has, how it all comes together, how he deploys it, everything. So if you want to hear all that good stuff and what or how to play against it, you know, there's Blood Angels out there in the world for you players who don't play Blood Angels that you need to know how to break it down. That's all going to be in part two. Are you ready, Sam? I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's rock and roll. All right. Tell me a story. You picked up Warhammer when you, during the COVID times. How did that even happen? Yeah. So, I mean, I, um, I learned about the game at a very, very young age. I believe I was uh, three years old when, when it got introduced to me. Uh, and obviously this is not a three-year-old's game. So I didn't obviously start playing then. I was just thought it was really cool. And I've always been, uh, and I'm proud to say it, a huge like super nerd my whole life with everything uh, from superheroes to 40K. So naturally, as I got older, I started to play competitive sports. Then it was kind of like hockey and, and whatnot. And then just kind of to summarize it really, um, you know, hockey kind of fell fell off the, the I guess, the, the rails in terms of becoming a professional. And I, I was able to make it as high as uh, trying out for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the NHL. But then that didn't kind of fall through. And then I just needed something to really scratch my competitive itch. And, you know, COVID came around and I started looking at 40K a bit closely just before. And I just kind of fell in love with everything about the game. And that was, I think, right at the end of 8th edition. So it was just an absolute blast to, to get going. And that's kind of how it all began. Wow, I, I never thought uh, an ex-pro athlete on the way would just catch up into 40K. Dude, like, opposite style of hobbies. How do you enjoy both? Yeah, I mean, like, now, um, 
to be honest. I mean, I feel like my competitive background really has helped me with 40K and just kind of staying composed in certain games and mentally staying, I guess, you know, I mean, I keep saying mentally here, but, uh, you know, mentally tough, I, I guess, um, has really helped me uh, just kind of get to the level that I've been able to get to. Because uh, I think a lot of the times people neglect the mental side of 40K because you really need to stay in it and have a positive mindset for, you know, six tough rounds or even beyond. I remember Motor City was my first ever three-day event and just kind of being able to stay locked in for, I believe it was the seven rounds that I ended up playing, um, I think actually did help me a lot more than I even thought, uh, kind of, you know, as I progressed throughout an event like that. So it's actually just been really able to, um, I, I've been able to transfer a lot of those skills, actually. Um, so balancing has been quite easy, to be honest. I, I can't agree with you more. I think the mental aspect is something we never really talk about. And I feel like you're the perfect kind of guest to highlight it on this episode a little bit. So you started out, um, how old are you, were you when you started the second time, I guess? Yeah. So it was right before COVID. I believe I was just, I just turned 25. Um, so pretty young on the scene. Yeah. And, and I actually, my birthday was actually this past Sunday, which is the day that I actually won this event. So I just turned 27. So it's been pretty much just over two years now. Happy birthday. What a great birthday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I treated myself uh, decently, I'd there, say. There you go. So yeah, in two years, you went from picking up 40K and it was a very challenging time to find people to play with and get games. And now you're winning majors representing your country. How does you, uh, definitely your mentality has something to do with this. So let's tie it in with your approach to, you know, the competitive climb with your mentality. How did you get here? Yeah, so actually, funny enough, um, I feel like the best way to put this is um, very early on in 8th edition, I was I was someone who, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always driven to win games, and I've always been uh, very hungry to to always, like, support a team if I could or, or, an org, or you know, some sort of uh, you know, team effort. Um, but this was very much different for me because it was singles. So I was kind of always playing for myself and just kind of learning to have fun at every aspect with it because I was a goalie in hockey and there's a lot of pressure on a goalie. So this was a very different approach in terms of having a bit more of a, I guess, broader look at things and just understanding that, you know what, it's just a game. <laughs> if you, if you mess up, it's not affecting other guys around you. Cause you know, if you let in the puck, you start to look at your teammates, like you're the one to blame and whatnot. So just kind of um, understanding that to begin with. And then basically what ended up happening was, and it was very interesting. Once the addition shifted from eighth to ninth, I feel like I naturally just became better at the game because, and for those of you who might know me that are listening to this, which is probably like a smaller Canadian scene, um, which is in eighth edition, I was a very defensive and very reactive player because I guess that's kind of how I was at my sport as well. Being a goalie by just kind of sitting back, I guess, just watching the play develop in front of you and basically reacting accordingly. So I, I had this very much, and I guess, Nick, you understand this pretty well, kind of like playing out of the corner kind of style. That kind of yeah, that's, uh, that's allows the me to... Yeah, to 40K. <laughs> so I think this is the perfect conversation with the perfect guy to have it with. Um, and just basically understanding that by playing a more defensive and conservative game, um, with the right tools, of course, you can actually stay in every single game. So I learned that from a really, uh, really quickly uh, at the, at, towards the end of 8th edition. And then once it shifted to ninth, the reason why I saw a lot of early success was because the game itself just started to favor, um, and I hate to put it this way, but a lot of uninteractivity in terms of the secondaries you were taking. And this was like right at the beginning of ninth, where it's like, you literally did need to kill a thing in order to win a game. So naturally, it was my play style just kind of, I guess, transferred perfectly. They would have like 1,700 points of their army left, and I would have like an intercessor unit on my backfield objective. But because of how it was basically expending my resources throughout the course of the game, my resource management 
would just basically allow me to outscore the opponent. So I would win like 95 to 90. They would have their whole army left and I would have nothing. But at the end of the day, it's about kind of getting over the line to get the win. So I kind of became accustomed to that style. And then, of course, just continuously adapted the list and the knowledge as the addition progressed. I can totally resonate with that. Like, absolutely. Like, the just refining your process. And once you find your kind of like your play style, it really starts to click, like you said. Like, and you playing a very naturally defensive style, you being a hockey defender. I always say, like, when people are trying to find their play styles and they're new to 40K or like new to tabletop games or just don't really know, think about what you do in life and how you approach things. I, I like to bring the thing like, are you aggressive? Are you defensive? Are you, do you avoid confrontation? In your case, it's pretty literal. You're, you're a goalie. Um, translated yeah. to an offensive play style into 40k, and then once you found that, it kind of clicked with you. It's really interesting too because you wouldn't consider Blood Angels a defensive army at all, but it's like how you said you expend resources at a specific rate to accomplish specific tasks that affect the scoreboard in very deliberate ways. Um, to ultimately come out with a win, it's a very long, long five turn game plan kind of approach. Yeah, As someone who's only been playing for two years, give or take. How do you learn the game? Like you clearly have an, a capacity to learn really effectively. How do you? How did you learn to play 40k competitively so fast? Yeah, so I mean, um, just high level. What basically did it for me was, I mean, sadly because of COVID. I, I say sadly because we were hemmed in for so long, but it, it did help me a lot in this hobby because um, you know when I wasn't you know either finishing you know graduating in school or getting my first job which of course was all online um i had the luxury of obviously you know watching several youtube videos and um you know reading every single codex because i had the ability to do so so i mean like just constant learning and just that hunger to continuously be better i guess is what the first part that drove me um to basically i guess get better every day like quite literally uh and then kind of putting in putting it into practice i had a consistent practice routine with um with a guy or two throughout the course of covid um, um, when it was safe to do so and then basically just kept playing super tough matchups or this you know the individual would bring like you know the most like the hardest possible meta army to my to my house to basically thrash me with and the first like three games of playing them i would get crushed and then um by like the by like the fourth or fifth game with like a slight list uh list adjustment um because i didn't want to start to tech too hard into it because i feel like that kind of defeats the purpose of getting better um with a slight list change and obviously a slight different mentality of how i approach the game all of a sudden the game gets easier and then I start to win. And then it's like, okay, what, 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 what changed? Then I start to break down the change and essentially break down the actual, um, like the strategy, like how I set up on the board. And then I just applied that to many different matchups over the course of time. So it's like, you're playing, um, like at the time I was playing against like Magnus and Mortarian, like the Bash brothers. So it's like, okay, how do I manage monsters like this? What do I do in games like that? And just high level, you know, it's like, okay, it requires maybe some move blocking. It requires maybe some tools of, of you know, positioning. And then it's like, okay, then moving forward, it's like then, I think it was later on when COVID started to lift. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you remember like the, the keepers, like the keeper rush list was a, was a really prominent list. But, but it's like, well, that list didn't give me any problems because I've already played it in some sort of capacity. And although it wasn't the exact same, you're still bringing the same mindset and the same kind of, I guess, techniques to managing and dealing with it. And I guess a huge positive that I can't leave out is the fact that I've only ever played and piloted one army my whole life, which is Blood Angels. And I take pride in the fact that I've only played one army. Um, a lot of people kind of have said, you know, like you'll only get better by piloting other armies, but I personally don't feel the need to. Um, and just by constantly learning the way I have, I felt like it's paid off, but hey, maybe I might be proved wrong. Well, it's it's really interesting because I think some players, like last week we actually had Archon Scari on, 
um, also from Canada, who is another faction mm-hmm. expert, played bajillions and bajillions of games with Drakari, and he knows that army to the nth degree, similar to you with Blood Angels. And what I find really interesting is both of you just have been playing 40k for totally different amounts of time. He's been playing for like 29 years, he was saying, and he's been playing yeah. for two or three. And you're supplementing like games and games and games worth of knowledge with like with like constant learning like you said just opening up codexes reading the rules reading the rules keeping on top of that stuff and not everybody has that style of consumption with 40k some people don't like to read codexes all day they rather just get out there and play games and you know whatever path you choose to consume your knowledge that's really what you're doing is you're getting in those reps somehow you're yours is through reading and there's just through playing so you don't have to play a lot of armies to learn the game, but it does help, I find, to try different play styles. What's interesting, though, is your Blood Angels, they are traditionally, especially for newer players and less experienced players, run straight at the other guy and smash them with your hammers. And then as you get more and more adept and skillful at Blood Angels, you learn to play them a little bit more control style and try to get people to come to you so you don't have to get shot in the face and things like that. Right. What was, was that your approach in the beginning, just run straight at them? And then how did you make that transition? I mean, to, to be completely honest, I, I guess because of the transition from 8th to ninth, and me being such a defensive player, that's that's what led to the immediate success because I felt like a lot of Blood Angel players that I was um, talking with, like not even when I was as good as I currently, I guess, am, but um, they just didn't understand that there was just so much restraint that was taken into account in how to play. Um, and I remember there was actually a, a really you know positive reaction from people watching me play when I was actually at Motor City Mayhem. Um, and playing on stream in round six against Monik with his like you know busted Leviathan nids, um, which you know no armies can play into. But it's like I had already beaten it twice that weekend leading up to that game, and people were so confused. And then they kind of saw how I was doing it by basically just, I guess, um, the, I guess the high level of resource management that I was applying into that game that really a lot of Blood Angel players don't really see too often. Because there's always that moment where Blood Angel players all think that yeah, turn three is the go the go hard turn or, or or whatever it may be. But although that might necessarily be true in terms of when you can start pushing, that doesn't mean going all in. And I feel like finding that fine line of going all in and when to push are very, very two different things that a lot of people kind of, um, you know, neglect or, or, or take for granted in terms of, you know, their actual ability to push into a certain army at a certain time. So, I mean, that, that's kind of what's what's been a big factor for me is just, um, just understanding what my army's limits are and never pushing those boundaries. Unless we're in a, I guess you can say, losing situation, then of course, time to, I guess, throw the kitchen sink uh, at the, you know, at, at the situation. But not not putting yourself in that situation to begin with is, is always the goal. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love the approach here. With your Blood Angels, It's it sounds like you can kind of manufacture these situations where you can be defensive and and force your opponent to come to you, set up the charges you want, play like that, when you have some sort of secondary advantage. With Blood Angels, they don't always have a secondary advantage. Sometimes they might, sometimes they might not. Their secondaries are kind of middling. So how do you, like, let's say you get first turn, and you're not, you're, you're playing against an army that's just going to sit there and score its points. But you're a defensive player, Sam. So how would you approach that situation? Yeah, so... The first thing I do is I analyze um, the score sheet, and I feel like this is a bit of advice that I gave myself early on just by by studying the game, and I think people should really take into account, is stop playing against your opponent and play against the scoreboard. So just kind of 
sit there for a moment. I know we use chess clocks or whatever, but I can't stress how crucial it is to take those maybe like three to potentially five minutes of your own time. Or heck, if you think it's going to be weird of you to stand at the table and do this mental math and literally be like, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the washroom. And then while you're on your way to the washroom, run the math in your head of just quite literally, what is the potential score of if you sit here? And then what is the potential score of if he sits there? And then how do you make up that difference? So am I going to disrupt his primary? Do I need to be perfect on my secondary game? And now all of a sudden you're telling the story of what you need to basically do over the course of five turns. So a lot of times when I'm playing other players, as good as they may be, we are playing at a different pace because I'm already planning on what my score is going to be at the bottom of turn five versus they're just kind of preparing for the next turn or setting up to react to you. So basically flipping the script on the tempo of the game. And even if you have to sometimes, just realizing that you don't need to press so hard on a certain opponent on a certain turn if you're playing a specific mission. So a really great example is if you're playing mission 33, Precious Artifacts, that's like the auto 15 bonus mission for those of you who are you know, who are familiar. Um, if you deny primary one turn, I believe they still end up with a 44. I, I could be wrong off the top of my head, but they basically are still getting a max primary. So unless you really plan on disrupting their primary for two or more turns, it's actually not worth throwing resources away. So then now all of a sudden you're taking in, into account the mission the matchup, and now different ways to affect a specific ma- a game such as that. Wow, it sounds like you are preaching what I teach at Art of War on the War Room. So that's, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <I> remember. <laughs> um, I, I guess it's, it's really cool to see you have such a methodical approach to the game, like tactically when you're playing it. Let's talk about your list construction, though, because there's a lot of ways to approach list writing uh, and, and We'll speak from your perspective as a Belgian player, but you can try to extrapolate on, you know, for anything philosophically. Like, as a Blood Angel player, you have Sanguinary Guard, and you have Death Company, and you have really smashy characters. And it's really easy to click times three on both of those and then just run straight at your opponent. Obviously, that's not naturally how you view the game. So when you look at your codex, what kind of tools are you trying to put in there and what kind of ideas are you trying to throw in? Yeah, so... Me being a, a, the technical player that I am, and I feel like for those of you who have, who have watched me play, um, I play a very different game than a lot of Blood Angel players. Uh, just in terms of like the like like I, like I mentioned, like the technicality of what I'm trying to do. So I'm looking for move blocks. I'm looking for trading. I'm looking to tag things certain ways. I'm I'm looking to basically create a board state that's always favorable to me and mitigates my opponent for more than just a turn. So basically, bringing in units that help me do so. Like currently, and, and we'll obviously allude to this in, in part two, going through it a bit more in depth. But you know, these chaff units, like these garbage trash units that uh, people don't really value or, or or neglect a lot because they're not a hammer unit, for example. And it's like, why would you bring in a scout squad with a, a landspeeder storm when you could just have quite literally another death company squad right now with five free infernal pistols and fri- five free power swords? Well, it's like I have a death company unit already. So then why would I not bring some other resources to help my death company maybe be, you know, get the most out of them? I mean, that's probably a bad situation because they're probably going to go YOLO turn one and probably nuke something. But for example, if that scout now scout unit with the storm is helping move block something from getting to my sanguinary guard, you know, all of a sudden now the rest of my army is now playing at a better tempo and is obviously going to be lasting a lot longer um, in a lot of these tougher games where, you know, you can't really afford to push out too much or you can't really afford to waste resources too early. So just units like that, I've started to really value over the course of my entire experience in 40k. And I feel like a lot of the top players 
just historically, and I've obviously picked up on this. I, I, I even watched um, a couple of streams, like you know, I've watched you in the past, where it's just like you'll bring like the like the sixteen hundred points of your army that play the game, but the last four hundred points, for example, of like one of your like Eldari, like Craft World list, or, or a Hail of Doom list that maybe you've historically ran. You know, it's it's basically doing the little like the, the, the grunt work that the rest of your real force doesn't want to do, but it's so necessary to make the whole thing click. And maybe you can even elaborate a bit more on that. But um, that's kind of what I've what I've learned is just really just really taking advantage of your whole codex, like yeah, through its I, you've entirety. Nail on the head with it. It's it's when you take nothing but like death coming with thunder hammers, or in your example from my Eldar, like if I take nothing but jet bikes with shuriken catic cannons and and dire Avengers and Halo Doom, I have no one who actually can really perform scout the enemy. So let me put some rangers in. What if I need to slow the enemy down? Let me put some vipers in. Let me put some other jet bikes that maybe don't cost 30 points a model. I can only fire and fade one unit anyway. So that's how you start to think about like optimizing, or for me, how I start to think about optimizing the good stuff. But then what, what, how do I support the good stuff is I guess the question usually to answer. And like, and sorry, just on, on to, I guess like to elaborate a bit more on that too. Uh, this, this is probably going to be much to everyone's surprise, but like I didn't have, uh, not that I was having fun with 40k. I'm always having fun when I'm playing 40k, but it wasn't as fun for me when the triple death company list um, was like the thing with Lamartis, which I know like all the top blood angel players that uh, finished high at LVO um, were basically taking. But it's like I didn't even actually have as much fun as when I was at the WTC running more my style of list with all the jank in the whole world, just all over the table, doing so many different things and creating all these different plays and scenarios. Um, where it's like that list was just so one-dimensional. It actually wasn't my type of list, and the reason why I brought it was because it just scores so well. So it gave me a better chance, I guess, in theory. But uh, that's actually—it's just so interesting that you know I was given more hammer units, quite literally, and I wasn't even enjoying it as much. So no, I think there's so funny. much to be said about that, like playing something that really jives with you—that is your own. Like you said, the the Death Company times three with with uh, Fury of the Lost. It scores points. Like it's a better Blood Angel list. Like you, you give a computer a Blood Angel list, they'll tell you which one is more likely to win. But in your, in your example there, like you didn't enjoy it as much, like you said. And I find when you're not enjoying it, it's harder to stay in it in those close games. Like when you get hit really hard, you're like, oh, whatever, I don't like this list. Versus when you get hit really hard with a list you're really passionate about, an army you believe in, that's like, all right, I, I'm not losing to this thing. I'm figuring this out. And and maybe not so black and white cause and effect. Like there's subtle things. Like you you haven't really thought through all of the options and technical things. Whereas like a more diversified list has a specific answer to every detail of every mission because you played a bajillion games with it. And you did that one time you played Data Scry and you were like, man, no one is here to do my home field objective. I guess I'll work in a solo spawn. And that little thing stays yeah. with you for forever because and then you find uses for him in other games. We're like, oh, he could be a screen right now. And that's how you really refine a list to the point that I think you're trying to get at, as opposed to just taking like a cookie cutter type of variation. There wasn't a question there. That was just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> great, great thought. To ask an actual question, though, when you play that list or that you played bajillions of reps with, and when you're, when you're, I guess, before you get to the bajillions of reps, what is the ratio of other stuff? And what do you look for in that other stuff category to supplement your good stuff? Yeah, so I mean, like, what I've actually done since quite literally the beginning of ninth, when the um, the Blood Angels Codex first actually dropped the supplement. Um, I know this might sound crazy, but I've I've basically had the same fourteen hundred points that I've been using consistently 
um, ever since. And the, and we're talking almost like going on almost two years. So it's like, I basically found very quickly that it's like, a, broke. <laughs> yeah, like, and I'm, I'm a, like a living testament of that because it's like, okay, I want a chapter master. Cool. He hasn't left my list ever with the exact rights of war plus visage of death um, combo, which I don't, don't understand why people don't run more of that. Um, but I live in like breathe that combo. I think it's just literally game winning and it has done that for me time after time. So it's like that guy hasn't left my list. The sanguinary priest has not left my list. The one token death company squad to keep my opponent honest has never left my list. The two to three troops, depending on a patrol or arcs of omen, I guess right now, or whatever it might be has not left my list. I, I loved having a battalion with three troops for the longest time. Um, and then also the three squads of sanguinary guard and then the scouts in a storm. So it's like, that is my blueprint of what I start every single list with. And then I go from there. So what we just described is literally about 1400 points. So it's like, that's what's kind of worked for me and has always gelled for me. And it's like, if I'm not running these units with my combos and my favorite units, then I'm not playing blood angels the way I want. And therefore I don't want to play them. So it's like, I will always stand by always running what you really love and finding a way for it to work and supplementing what you love with other units to get the most out of them. Cause I think there's a really a way to make a lot of units work. I mean, people will disagree that things are not optimal or whatever it may be, but I've had a, I've, I've literally went to a GT um, the weekend before LVO and was actually able to go five and zero and, and win that event. And I literally took a three man aggressor squad, a three man eradicator squad, a three-man outrider squad and a plasma scepter squad just for fun. And I still made it work. So are you, and, and answer this truthfully, there's no shame here. Are you doing this, take this other stuff st- approach because you like to snowflake and you just want to do it a little bit differently for your own sake of uniqueness? Or do you think this is like a, a variational difference that not only just works for you, but when you actually get into the nitty gritty details of very competitive Warhammer, you think it's superior? I really do feel like the more you use these other units to supplement your bulk, the better of a player you start to become. So that's, that's kind of why I put myself in scenarios like that often, just to kind of test my my personal metal to see how much I can push it. But in terms of the actual just like approach with with certain units like that, um, I feel like there is a little bit of of a sense of you know wanting to be different. I I, I definitely can can probably say there's a little bit of that because i remember there was at one point when when i saw i forgot who it was but was seeing some early success in like early ninth and i was just like well they're running blade guard and i haven't run blade guard at all so if i incorporated that one token blade guard unit i'm gonna look like oh yeah you're just doing that because you know x was was running that so i was like you know what i've been running without blade guard i'm gonna make it work without blade guard and lo and behold i did but it's like there is that moment where you do kind of have that debate and i feel like a lot of players have a bit of pride i, I think um, there's definitely that's your that ego sense. going there but like absolutely everyone's got that yeah so i'll, I'll be honest with you i'm not, I'm not gonna try and beat around the bush yeah <laughs> cool so when you i guess what is the uh, let's let's start here. I am shocked that Scouts in the Storm made your major. This has to be in my Blood Angel core. I'm trying to stay away from this subject because we're really going to break down list in part two. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I can't. I can't not. Like, what, why do you have Scouts in the Storm? Man, I, I literally have had them. Like I said, since like the beginning of ninth, and when the Scouts were seventy points, and the Storm was like sixty or or something like that, because the ability of just scoring the points that I've always needed them to do has just been so crucial for me from like when oath of moment first dropped to when relentless assault was first released. Um, and then realizing that, you know, I, I remember I took them out at one point after finding success with them 
And then it was just like in that one game that I lost against like some crazy um, like white scars list. I was just like, if only I had this stupid scout unit to move block like the like the whatever it was like the nine outriders charging my left flank for oh, a turn. I absolutely get that. You ever cut them and then you lose a game and you don't have them and you wanted them? Oh my god! There was a and game trust me at LVO. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, I'm just gonna make this about me for a second. Yeah, yeah. There was a game at LVO I played. It was round six against Joel Wilson. He's one of my favorite people who plays Warhammer. He always gives me like the toughest games. Now we're one and one, and. <laughs> It was neck and neck, and he made a really good move to charge my fate with, with the Scorpec destroyers, and this would have tied. This could have killed him, and it would have at least, at least tied him up, and then I wouldn't be able to fly over and blast the important stuff with mortal wounds and win the game that way. And right. Fate Weaver, being being the boss that he is, the man, the myth, the legend that he is, took the charge, lived with seven wounds, aced all four of them in close combat, flew over Oof. and obliterated stuff with mortals, won the game on the spot. It was awesome. It was great. <laughs> Kudos That's huge. And now every single time I see like a regular Lord of Change or like a Fate Skimmer and I don't see Fate Weaver, I'm like, man, Fate, that guy would have died to the Scorpex. It wouldn't have killed the Scorpex. Like, what are you doing here? So yep. I get it. <laughs> Anecdotal evidence is the best. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I was, was going to say is just like literally at LVO, which was like whatever it was, like three weeks ago, um, I did not have my scouts in Storm. And I cannot tell you how much I missed them in that list because. I didn't have the elite slots available in my battalion because I always run a battalion and I went for the triple death company. And um, it just, I, I think I should have went with this with not that list. But anyway, here, I mean, here we are. I, I totally get it. Like for the longest time, I think still to this day, I don't really put 30 Dire Avengers in most of my Hail of Doom lists. And I think every single person who sees my list is like, it's missing 30 Dire Avengers. Where's, where, where's, <laughs> where's the other 20? Where's the other 10? Like, why aren't they here? Yeah. And it's like, at some point, solid walls do trump your list, you know? Like, more math doesn't help line of sight. doesn't help range. Yeah. Like, you got to have other tools to facilitate these units. It's a hard totally line agree. to draw, for sure. All right, Sam. I think we've gotten to that point. We've gotten to the point where you actually need to start talking about this event that you tore up with Blood Angels here. Let's let's talk about it. Was it a it was a super major? It was a major? It was like 200 people, right? Uh, it was a major. I think it was 130 players. Um six rounds and we actually there was talk of a shadow round at first because we wanted potentially one uh, undefeated but due to this time and uh, i think resources we we decided to to go against the seventh um shadow round so um we, we ended up playing I six yes <laughs> i agree no one two days that. is a lot yeah yeah um that's awesome well you you took this whole thing down you brought blood angels you brought your eclectic type of blood angels featuring none other than the scout storm why don't you break it down for me top to bottom what you're in yeah, so the list um, was the the Arcs of Omen uh, with the compulsory type being elites. Uh, so that was the detachment. And then I ran a, a chapter master with the I Never Leave With Home uh, Rites of War and Visage of Death combo. So for those of you listening um, and have heard me before, here I am repeating myself for the 60th time in probably two years. But it's the I have OPSEC and I turn off OPSEC aura. Um, so OPSEC... For, for me within six and turn off OPSEC for you within three. And this guy literally could end games. And especially, um, you know, uh, playing with him so often, it's like if you're going first, you know you could play pretty aggressive with him to start denying primary points. And if he dies, it's just like at least he's done something for you. And then going second, this is someone you keep close to your heart because uh, when you're looking for that big bottom five score, he's the guy who's automatically going to be doing that for you. 
So it's just like, and I'm, I'm sure Nick, you can appreciate having a, a tool like that in an army. Oh yeah, um, he sounds just awesome. He just, yeah, he just gets the job done. But people don't run him as much. I don't, I don't I'm not so, sure why. So what's Visage of Death do? I'm actually not familiar with the trait. Yeah, that's it's it's minus one to hit in combat, and that's the cute little part about it. And then it turns off obsec. That's uh, amazing. How has no one ever talked about that? Like everyone just takes the plus two move banner and then rights of war on him, and then they bring Dante. And trust me, when Dante gets his new model. God knows when that is, and when he is as good as he should be, when he's 400 points, I will be running him. But until then, my custom chapter master with this combo will be the way to go, personally. Oh, custom chapter master. I love that this is that was your 60th time in two years of reviewing this guy, and it was I didn't even <laughs> ask what he did. <laughs> I asked you to tell me your list, and you were like, detour, <laughs> chapter master. I had to. I had to. Everyone asks. So then anyway, quickly going through the rest, though. We got the typical sanguinary priest. He's a selfless healer. I have the teeth of terror to help trade uh, a bit in this matchup, just in case he needed to. Then I went with my troops. I, I ran triple infiltrators, and when we talk about some of the games, um, these guys paid back for their points uh, and then some, so they were incredible. Um, then in my elite slots, I brought a five-man aggressor unit with Bullstorm Gauntlets. Uh, I brought a five-man death company squad with four hammers of Fist and Inferno. Uh, the Sanguinary Ancient, which was one of the elite slots that you get for free if it's a character uh, that doesn't count towards your six, and he was bringing the uh, the Wrath of Ball um, Relic, which is the plus two move banner. So yes, I'm on that train currently. Uh, I haven't been for a while. And then I was running my Triple Sanguinary Guard, which is assortment of weapons. We won't, we won't get into them, uh, but every single one had an Inferno pistol, and it was broken down in units of seven, six, and five. Then I had a scout squad with all the bells and whistles on them. So sniper rifles, combi melta, thunder hammer, heavy bolter. Um, they arrived in a land speeder storm. And then Do I you had have the double thunder assault. hammer scouts modeled. I have a thunder hammer quite literally attached to the man's back. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> 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 and then, uh, and then I went with the uh, double assault squad. And you and I spoke about this actually before the event. And I will, I have no shame in admitting this, that, um, that you and I were going back on one, two, or three. And I did settle on the two after our conversation. Um, and they were super awesome. I got a six-man squad to do actions easily, and then a five-man to help trade. And then to round off the list, I had a uh, whirlwind, which I stuck with. Very nice. A lot of, lot of different choices in this Blood Angel yet list. You and Jack both rocking it out, taking down big tournaments with triple infiltrator. Me and my demon heart really, really doesn't like that. <laughs> Well, no, yeah, yeah. These triple infiltrators that the, the lower points cost, especially they they are the new troops. It's really really sad for the deep strike friends. Yeah, I really love your list, Sam. I'm excited to talk about it in part two. I'm excited to get into the details. Really excited to figure out how exactly you put all these different pieces together. You know, the random assault marines, the scout storm. I need I need a game by game breakdown of the scout storm's accomplishments. This visage <laughs> of death chapter master that most certainly is not Dante. There's a lot of things going on here. And for those of you who want to learn what Space Marines and the new Blood Angels do in the new Arcs of Omen, I highly implore you to check it out. Join us in part two. That's for subscribers on AOW40K.com. It's five bucks a month on Patreon. Thanks for watching, everybody. And we'll catch you later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com